Welcome to Real Estate Agent Superstars. I'm your host, RJ Baxter with Intercap Lending, and we have got an awesome guest for you today, my good buddy, Tim Murray of EXP Realty Denver. He's going to join us to share his story about how he went from rookie of the year real estate agent to focused on world travel and some of his adventures. And maybe his production fell off a little bit during that time to what, what he didn't really uh, want to do or he wanted to do more and how he's ramped it up here recently with EXP and really started to make things take off again. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, rock and roll. Thanks, RJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So Tim is is an awesome story. He's uh, like an adventure guy that does a lot of, he's a big skier, a big mountain biker, a big outdoors guy, he loves to travel the world. And he's kind of incorporated that into his business. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get into it. But um, tell me, first of all, Tim, how did you get involved with real estate? How long, and how long ago was this? Yeah, so I got my uh, I got my license back in 2005 here in Denver. Um, prior to that, I, I spent my career as a personal trainer and uh, strength and conditioning specialist. And um, I still coach quite a bit. And at that time, I was just uh, in a lull in what I was doing. You know, I was just kind of in that ebb of, you know, personal business ownership where, I was uh, just kind of burnt out on all, you know, just listening to, you know, my days were filled with listening to people's excuses about their health and wellness. And it just, you know, kind of got old. And so I, I sat down with my mom, you know, one of my greatest advisors, and we were just kind of brainstorming about what, you know, what were, what was out there, like what other career paths are there besides being a personal trainer and a coach. And uh, she suggested real estate. And I had never considered real estate, you know, and she, she said, Hey, you know, every, everybody I know that has a personality like yours and has the drive, like you have, they're really successful real estate agents. And I was like, huh, interesting. And I, and I started to look into it and it was like, wow, how cool is this? Like there's not, yeah, there's a managing broker, but I wouldn't really have a boss. And like, I could set my own hours and, you know, instead of selling, you know, gym memberships at 80 bucks a month or personal training packages at 500 bucks a month or whatever. It was like, wow, I get to sell something that's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, sure, let's check it out. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, so I got licensed and, uh, you know, quickly, uh, you know, one rookie of the year with Keller, Keller Williams right out the gate. And, and it was amazing. Like I had never made that much money um, and worked that few of hours or felt like no stress, no, whatever. It was, I almost felt guilty the first couple of years I, I sold real estate. I honestly was just like, wow, this isn't even fair that I'm making this much money. Yeah. I love, yeah. Uh, you told me the story about your first check that you got and you're, you went to the car and you're looking at it like, this can't be real. Like, yeah. how, how did this happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was the first, back then, I mean, houses weren't that expensive and commission checks weren't that that big and it was still like the first time that I had like a you know like a deep five digit check in my hand where it was like somebody was paying me you know mm -hmm. thousands of dollars to do something and, and it was like I had already done it you know like I, the previously in personal training was like well you get paid up front and then you and then you gotta see like how many of the 12 sessions are people gonna cancel and 
blah, 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 and da, 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 da. And it was all of a sudden like, oh, wow, mm. I just spent like the last 45 days interacting with these cool people. And then they went to the closing table and they handed me this huge ass check. And yeah, and I was just like, I was dumbfounded. I was just like, there's no way, like the title company must have screwed up. There's somebody else deserves some of this money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so so you, you hit that uh, out of the gates, you hit the ground running in your rookie of the year. And there's a lot of agents with Keller Williams. That's an impressive accomplishment. How did you do it? How did you come out of the gate so fast? Yeah, you know, back, so again, this is 2005, um, and we didn't have a lot of the technology that we have now. Things were a little bit different in the market back then. So um, I've always uh, really appreciated being on the phone. I've got no problem. I love interacting with people on the phone. It's just easy for me. Um, And so... Back then, you could go into the office and just sign up for office hours and man the phones. And back then, the real estate signs, when there were listings, the office would put the sign in the yard and it would be the office general number on the sign. And so you could just sign up as a rookie agent. You could hang out in the, you know, like in the bullpen in the office and just answer incoming calls off of sign calls. People were like, hey, I'm driving by 123 Main Street and I'm interested in this Keller Williams sign that's in the yard. Like, what can you tell me about it? And to me, I was just like, that was the first time in my life I had ever fielded incoming, you know, warm leads. You know, there wasn't some asshole yeah. throwing a phone book at me telling me to like make more calls to cold calls. You know, and it was like, wow, dude, this is, yeah. this is so nice. This is easy. And then, you know, the other <laughs> thing back then, like, <laughs> you know, we also did a lot of, um, I was on, I wasn't on a team, but I had some, you know, peers that were hungry and young. And, um, we did a ton of bandit signs back then. I mean, we would go, we would spend, I would meet my buddies at 10 o'clock at night and we would have like 200 bandit signs that would just say like, you know, house for sale, call now, investors wanted, whatever. And we would just go, we'd stay out for two or three hours till midnight, one in the morning, just putting putting little yellow bandit signs all over. You know, we would pick an area of town and just be like saturated. And then those, so, the, the... So maybe I'm the only yeah. one in the room right now that doesn't know what a bandit sign is. What What is that? Oh, just like... Yeah, you see them like on the on the side, like on the exit ramps on the highways and stuff, like just little, totally uh, hand scribbled signs that don't have a business name on them, don't have any, they don't have your broker's office on them, and you're not marketing anything specific. You're just like, hey, call this number if you're interested in investing in real estate, and like those, the number we would put on there would go to our lender. And our lender was just fielding hundreds of calls a week. And, you know, this is back, this is prior to the crash, right? So, you know, this was like, I mean, we could put signs out that say like, your dog could buy a house, call this number, you know? (laughs) And and it was true back then. And it was true. It was true. It was totally like, yeah, we'll get your dog a social security number off to the races. Your dog would get a loan. You have the best dog house in in Highlands Ranch. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> totally. And no, I don't think there was very many rules back then as to what you could could or couldn't do on advertising either. Not really. Just, yeah. It was like the Wild West. 
it was a it was the total wild west which fit you know fit my personality perfectly i was just like again i like first few years i was in real estate i was just like man this is insane like there's there's no regulation <laughs> the like the crazier i get the more money i make and the more everybody at the office loves me so let, let's do this yeah nice nice yeah. so so fast forward a couple of years the housing crisis happened how did you weather that storm what happened during that period yeah, so that you know what, like through the recession and all that, I was really fortunate fortunate enough to um, be surrounded by investors. You know, we had already done a lot. I had done a lot of marketing to investors, and I was investing myself. And um, we flipped houses through the recession, and I got a lot of confidence about that. And again, it was just another. To me, it was an opportunity in the market where if you had confidence and tenacity, the sky was the limit. You know, if you were if you were willing mm -hmm. to go in and and purchase houses that weren't that great, you'd get the deals done and you'd make money. You know, and we and we picked up like before. I mean, and again, this is a long time. This is you know, 10, 15 years ago. Wholesaling was just starting. Like they're just the idea of like you know going and knocking on, going and finding the most run-down piece of crap house in the neighborhood and knocking on the door every day until somebody answered and being like, uh -huh. hey, like, I'm going to give you cash so you can move on with your life and, you know, let's go. I got you. And so back then, there were only a few people doing that, you know? And That's here we are, you know, like 12, 12, 15 years later, it's like, the wealthiest people I know got their start doing that. I mean, guys yep. that, you know, guys I help, I've helped buy dozens of properties with, and now they own hundreds of doors, you know? And yep. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. I mean, people that are, if anyone's afraid of a recession out there and housing actually does crash, which I don't think it will, but if it does, there's fortunes made during those times. There is. So You're absolutely right. People that yeah, are out investing every, and make, yeah, making things happen during those times are doing really well. Yeah, every time that every time somebody sends me a YouTube video about the sky is falling and it's the end of the world and American economy is going to tank and that the housing bubble is going to burst, I'm just like, fucking great, man. We're going to get rich. <laughs> like the, the people that are like, brave nice, and it. bold. Yeah, bring <laughs> like man that that's where wealth is created. Like, like let's go, yeah. like. Buy the dip, man. Like, get, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like another another um, word for housing crash is opportunity. 100%. Housing opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. For Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And for people buying primary residences, if they're not going to move, then just weather the storm. You know, it's, it's your house. Yeah. No, no big deal. So. Yeah. You don't hear, I, I, I don't, I've never heard anybody say, or, or maybe they'll start to the, start the conversation with like, Oh yeah, I I bought my house in 2010 and I just oh, I don't I wasn't really sure like if it was the right decision and and look at me now. I've got $400,000 worth of equity. It's tripled in value. And who yep. would have thunk that who would have ever imagined? And it's like, yeah, hello, it's real estate. <laughs> yeah. And and having years of experience like you, you have stories of people that have done that and you can People love stories and telling stories about people that, that happened to. I mean, that's helped me during this time. 
uh, to yeah. help people understand that real estate's a long-term investment and people, there's people 10, 15 years ago that were hesitant that had done really well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Super well. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I love about you, Tim, is how you've taken the things you love to do in your lifestyle and you've real estate has enabled you to do even more of that. So tell me about how you've, I mean, like real estate was the perfect fit for you from what I can see. And you've really taken that to an extreme. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I've always been, um, driven and I've also been, um, I've also had this, the, like the priorities of lifestyle have been way more important to me than wealth development. So I, mm -hmm. I realized early on, like, okay, Hey, you know what? This is the number of deals and transactions I need to be involved with every year where I get to go and do whatever I want because I have enough money and enough time and I'm not stressed out or freaking out. And I watched, uh, I, you know, I watched a lot of other incredibly successful real estate agents get super burnt out. And, you know, where I was just like, hey, man, um, you know what? I can close 8, 10, 12 deals a year just in my sleep <laughs> and make six yeah. figures and be able to travel. And I really leveraged that a, a lot. You know, I let my sphere and I let my peers and I let everybody know like, hey, look, I'm going to ski 60 days a year. I'm going to travel internationally up to three months a year, take 12 weeks off and have those conversations to say like, just because I'm in Switzerland racing an Ironman or I'm in Argentina climbing a mountain, it doesn't mean that I'm, I can't work. It doesn't mean I'm not going to answer my phone. It doesn't mean that I don't have access to the internet, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world. And I think that, I, again, I watched a lot of other agents just get burnt out and frustrated and cynical about being overwhelmed with, you know, doing, you know, 30, 40 deals a year and what that looked like. And I was not, yeah, I was like, hey, you know, every t every year I'd go to the awards ceremony and I'd be like, ha ha ha, look at the, that's cool. Like, that'd be really cool if I made $400,000 in real estate one year. And look at those guys. They're not skiing 60 days a year. They're not going right. to Playa, Playa del Carmen twice a year. Like I felt like my award, my like my trophy rack of what I've done in my life far exceeds any little glass figure thing that anybody's gotten from any real estate company that I've ever seen. You know, like hey, cool, you're being a top producer is cool, and living a fulfilled life is way cooler. And so, you know, over the last uh, decade, for sure, I, I realized I could do my, I could fulfill my largest dreams. So, you know, a year ago this month, I, I climbed Mount Everest. I was in Nepal climbing Mount Everest last year and real estate afforded me the opportunity to do that. That's so cool. I think way too many people in our business lose track of that how important life is and how important those other things are. They're, they're just married yeah. to their job. hundred percent. So, for, yeah, so, I, so your client, so your, so your clients didn't have a problem with that or did you have some that did have a problem with it? And then they, 
you just chose to not work with them because they they couldn't accept the fact that you weren't always right here? Yeah, I think there was a there was um and, and even to this day I think I'm still struggling with like trying to get my sphere and my clients and everybody to realize like I'm not a professional. I, I have been in the past before real estate. I was a professional athlete right now. I'm not, <laughs> I'm no longer a professional athlete and I'm not, you know, right. I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you're just a professional ski bum. And I'm like, no, I'm not that either. I'm, I'm a real estate agent that does well enough to support a really cool lifestyle. And I still rely on mm-hmm. your referrals and your business to accommodate that lifestyle. And so that's a, that's a conversation that I have often, you know, again, to, to reiterate, like, Hey, I've got a whole team of people around me that support me in real estate. So if, you know, if I'm, if I know, like, for instance, last year, you know, I was, uh, in Everest base camp for seven weeks and yeah, we had Wi-Fi, and was it realistic for me to do real estate transactions during that time? No, not at all. I was, I was trying Mm -hmm. to stay alive. And so, you know, I have, I had my managing broker and, you know, five other agents working on our team on my behalf. And yet some deals got closed on my behalf during that time. And they, it was successful and it was fine and everything's cool. And the, and the majority mm-hmm. of the time, you know, it's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm available. Like, even if, even if I'm in Mexico or I'm, I'm skiing in Canada or, you know, like, heck you and I, we've skied together in Japan. You know, and it's just like, okay, I know, I know one week a year, I'm going to be in Northern Japan skiing. And I know that for that week, my business hours are 4.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. or 8 a.m. because of the time difference. And I can get mm-hmm. stuff done. You know, and real estate has provided that flexibility. And if push comes to shove, if somebody wants to see a house or write an offer or whatever, I've got plenty of agents that will show properties for me. And I can still write the offer. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's the great thing about what you have set up is your team and what you have going with the XP and all that. Um, so tell me more about this Everest thing. That, that was a life dream of yours and you actually went there last year, right? 2022. Yeah, I did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had been, I had conjured up the idea of climbing Mount Everest when I was 16 years old and and I knew at that time when I put it on my like life goal list, I had it that, uh, that I needed to do it on or before my 50th birthday. Because when I was 16, mm-hmm. the idea of being 50 just seemed like that's it. Like you're at, when you turn 51, you just dinosaur, you're going to tank, drive off the cliff, be it's done. Like all over. All over. Like, yeah, you're just, yeah, yeah you put, put you in the <laughs> easy chair, and, easy chair and sip lemonade and watch TV and you're done. And so, you know, (laughs) so as I came, you know, was edging up closer to my 50th birthday, COVID happened and international travel got shut down and, you know, mountaineering permits got shut down. And so, so yeah, my, my goal of getting on the mountain, uh, in 2021 got pushed back, um, a year. And so that was fine. That it actually allowed me to train a little bit more um, and iron some kinks mm-hmm. out and just where my head head was and where my body was and just get my head wrapped around, you know, being spending that much time up above, you know, 17,000 feet and, and further up the mountain. And, um, and so, 
Yeah, I just uh, the last four years actually were dedicated to training and preparing to climb Mount Everest. And my production in real estate did drop off for sure. You know, it wasn't a rosy, like on the, on the lifestyle pendulum work, lifestyle balance, lifestyle totally trumped yeah. work for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. What did you have to do to prepare to go to Everest? What, what kind of training regimen were you under? Wow. Um, you know, outside of just carrying, carrying heavy stuff uphill, <laughs> Um, I tried to spend as much time above, above 10,000 feet as I could. Um, I spent a lot of time I had, you know, from, I, I don't know if there's a name for what I did, but I, I had it since early on in life when I first started dreaming about going to Everest, I'd done a lot of research about what mountains you should climb to prepare. Like what's the natural progression of mountains to climb. So, you know, back mm-hmm. in, you know, as early as 2016, I started making a point of, of booking trips to higher and higher places. So, you know, in 2016, I did some trekking in Peru where I got to go above 16,000 feet. Um, I, you know, I climbed Mount Orizaba in Mexico, which is 18.6. Um, I did all of the, not all, but I did most of the most, the significant mountains in North America. So, you know, I've climbed Whitney a few times. I've done Hood and Baker and Rainier and countless 14ers mm-hmm. here in Colorado. And then I think like, you know, Rainier is a pretty serious undertaking. And I think a lot of people may not recognize that that's like legit mountaineering, open crevasses and rock fall and crampons and ice axes and ropes and all of it. It's, it's the real deal. And, mm-hmm. and for that matter, you know, like, so is Mount Hood and it's only 10,000, it's 10,000 foot mountain. Like here in Colorado, I think we, mm. we scoff at that, you know, I mean, you can, you can, on any given right. day, you can, you can wear your bikini on a 10,000 foot trail around here. And it's no big deal. And in the Pacific Northwest, right. it's, it's kind of a big deal, you know? And then I think just ramping it up to, you know, in 2020, I climbed Denali, um, which is a huge undertaking, you know, high, highest peak mm. in North America, one of the seven summits. Um, again, a very, you know, some people says rivals Everest, maybe harder than Everest. And that was, a, for me, that was a phenomenal experience. I had a really, I had a great time on Denali. Like just, I felt like I got stronger yeah. every single day I was up there. Yeah. How high um, is Denali? You know, just over 20. It's like 20,300, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. But it's cold and it's unsupported. Like there's no... In, in a lot of the other, in the, in the, in the mountains of the world, the majority of the time, like all of the other seven summits, you can get a Sherpa or a donkey or a yak or a whatever, a horse to carry all your shit. And on Denali, there's none of that. You carry everything. Mm. You carry three weeks worth of stuff in a sled and in your backpack and you got to haul all that crap up the mountain wow. and then back down the mountain. And that's a lot. It's a lot. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a lot and it's, and it's fully self-contained because it's a really pristine national park. So, you know, again, if you're not into the outdoors or not into the mountaineering scene, what fully self-contained really means is that pack it in, pack it out. Like you shit in a bucket and you carry it, you carry your own excrement the whole time. You don't get to leave it somewhere. You bring it with you, you know, and 
You know, I think like, yeah. I think that's enough. That's enough to deter most of the people listening. I think. Yeah. 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 I think the normal, normal person doesn't ever consider that, you know, they don't consider no. it never in their life, never in your lifetime. Would you be like, I have it. I should do that. I should carry my own poop around with me. <laughs> that's not, that's not normal. <laughs> I have a hard enough time with my dog's poop for 20 minutes carrying that around. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think like, like, yeah, I, to me, it's, it's kind of funny. The lessons you learn about that stuff where you're like, you're, you carry all this stuff up the mountain and a lot of the weight is food. And you think, Oh man, I'm going to, the more we eat every day, the lighter our load's going to be. And it's like, Oh no, there's that green bucket over there filled with my load. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So, That's funny. Yeah. So then after Denali, yeah. um, you know, that was in the, in the spring, early summer of, uh, 2020. And then, um, and then I went to, Ocon I went down to Argentina and I climbed Aconcagua, um, uh, which is 21, mm -hmm. eight, a little higher, um, a little longer. And then, uh, and then it was time to go to, and then it was time to go to Everest. You know, that was like December, January of the, the cusp there at like 21, 22. And, um, and then I went over to Nepal, you know, last April and I spent eight weeks in Nepal and, uh, it was a big, nice by far, the by far the hardest, just ego destroying renewal of myself that I could have ever imagined. I mean, it like, it was way, yeah, I, I was not, I was not prepared. Oh, really? So, so just generally for the whole thing or just mentally or physically or all the above i was I, I yeah i showed up and i thought i was very i thought i was mentally and physically prepared and i think mentally i was prepared for sure and physically i thought i was prepared and like getting up to base camp at seventeen thousand feet was great i felt great i felt fine and when we settled into base camp and all the trekkers and the tourists and every all the riffraff kind of disappear and you're camping out on the side of the Kumbu Glacier and, you know, the everything around, you're at 17,500 feet and everything around you just goes straight up, you know, another 10 plus thousand, 12,000 feet to the top of the world. And there's avalanches falling down around camp all night, every day. And you can hear the glacier cracking and moving wow. and, you know, the the conversation over breakfast is like who died on the route the day before. And it's a completely like saying that it's next level doesn't even give it justice. It's like three or four levels up from just about anything I'd have had ever experienced. And so there was a, there was a whole new, a whole new sense of anxiety for me around that, that I, that I wasn't prepared for. Um, and as we moved up the mountain, um, it became evident to me and my teammates that I was much slower and I was not in the cardio. I was stronger than everybody there. I mean, I could care. I was like, as, mm -hmm. I felt like I was as strong as the Sherpas, you know, I could put a hundred pounds on my back and walk around with it. And as we started moving up the hill and the oxygen became less and less, it was evident to me that that strength was not what I needed. You know, I needed to, I, I showed up, I showed up with probably 30 pounds of muscle that I did not need. <laughs> that was not serving me mm. on that mountain at all. And the people that were, 
you know, briskly walking past me on the path were all these like pencil neck emaciated creatures that could just move quickly. Like their, their power to weight ratio was way better than mine. I had a lot of power, but it came with too much weight. And so, okay. Okay. Like the spoiler, the spoiler alert of the story is, is that I made it to camp four and I did not get to summit. The, the guide stopped me and said, Hey, you know what? You're, you're doing great and you're moving way too slow and we can't, we can't afford, there's not enough oxygen and there's not enough people to carry extra oxygen tanks to accommodate your pace. So we're going to ask you to stay here at camp four. So I spent a little over two days at just above 26,000 feet, which is pretty interesting. You know, breathing out of an oxygen mask the whole time, 24 seven and sleeping, sleeping with an oxygen mask on and, um, wow. you know, hanging out with like 60 to a hundred mile an hour winds trying to just rip our tent off the side of the mountain. And it, it, you know, it, that was quite an experience and it wasn't my dream. Yeah. That wasn't my, you know, my dream wasn't to make it to 26,000. My dream was to make it to 29,000. Right. So, right. Yeah. So what coming, was that coming like back hearing that, from, it was hard. I was going to say, I mean, what was, yeah, super go, hard. what was it like to hear that from the guide? That it, he was. I had crushed my soul. It, it it was soul crushing. You know, it was like, yeah, it was like if I had already spent ninety nine percent of my physical energy getting to that point, and the energy that I had left to go to the top was all in my head. It was just like my will and my passion and my enthusiasm, and then to hear like, yeah, you, we're not going to let you it took all that away. It took, it took the remaining juice that I had right out of my system. And so, you know, yeah, it was, it was a big, it was a huge exercise in um, resilience and realizing that like to be able to turn the story around and be able to like, be very grateful that I was healthy, that I wasn't dead, that I didn't have frostbite, Mm -hmm. um, that I still had the, 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 opportunity to be where I was. Um, and in those moments too, to realize that a dream doesn't have to be a one-time event. And, and I think that, I think that a lot of us as, as human beings, when we, when we think about goal setting and if we take goal setting to the next level and we think about dreams and like, what, what's a really big unattainable thing. And then you get the opportunity mm-hmm. to do it. You've probably painted that dream as a one-time occurrence, because that's one of the things that makes a dream special. And so in that moment, you know, when I was walking back down the Lotsey face, you know, crying inside my ski goggles and, you know, trying to blow my nose out this, you know, take my oxygen mask off and blow my nose and just, you know, be completely defeated, you know, having those thoughts of like, whoa, could I do this again? Like, do I want to do it again? Is it possible to do it again? Mm-hmm. And the answers mm-hmm. to all those questions were, yeah, unequivocally, yeah. Like, why the hell not? Like, cool. I'm just going to yeah. put this back in the back in the bag of practice. Like, I just got, like, how cool is this? Like, yeah, my ego is completely destroyed. And physically, I'm fine. Like, I'm like, this is cool. I came out of another the most intense practice session of my life unscathed. You know, it may be psychologically, mm-hmm. emotionally, I was, I was hurting, but 
in the big picture of what's possible is like, hey, sweet, why not? We can, I can I can dream this dream again. Yeah. So so it's in the plans to give it another it shot. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I've got I've got a five year and my like like I said this month. A matter of fact, um, here in about ten days is uh, is the one year anniversary of when I spent two days up at twenty six thousand feet. So our our summit day was May eighteenth last year. I've got a bunch of buddies over there. I got friends over there right now that I'm keeping an eye on. They're what they're climbing this year, and it's been cool, you okay. know, to watch their progress and see what's going on. And and you know, mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, it's been a year, and I uh, probably in four more years from now, I'll be I'll be trying it again. Nice. So yeah, I have to ask this, and we're the same age, so no no judgment here. But what's the who's the oldest person that summited Everest? You know. Ooh. Yeah, um, it's around 70, 73 or 74. No kidding. I think, yeah. Um, so you got, a, you got a lot of years left to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't young, know. You're a young guy compared to that. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because, like, one of the, I had asked, I had asked the guides in the Sherpas last year when we were there because the other guys on my team last year were young. I mean, they were in regards to like seven summits mountaineering, they were young, you know, they were both in their thirties. And I had asked the guides about that specifically. I was like, Hey man, are you seeing like, what's historically, what's the demographic up here? And are you seeing a shift in it? And, you know, historically they said, yeah, that the average age is like closer to 60. And and that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's (laughs) based on affluence and money way more so than ability you know and i think i think there's something to be said in there about wisdom and years of experience and you know that you know if you put if you put somebody up there who's super young and super gung-ho they may not know themselves well enough to get through you know what's what's up there and the people that I mean, heck, when I was when I was at Camp One on on our summit rotation, when we were going up on our summit rotation, there were people coming down off the summit that had already summited that just got an earlier start in their whole program than we did, which was fine, no big deal. But I got to meet, um, I think, the youngest female that's ever summited, an eighteen year old American girl. I met her, you know, we crossed paths. She was walking down, and I was walking up, and you know, the thoughts that went through my mind is like, this is a historical event because I think in the last, you know, whatever five decades that people have been trying to climb Everest financially, it's not no 18 year old can afford that. (laughs) And now we're in a time where because of generational wealth or sponsorship or whatever, it's possible for much younger people to find the money, you know, like the two guys that were on my, in Mm -hmm. on my trip were like I said, they were both in their thirties and, you know, both of them had done really, really well in their tech startup company or whatever, and had a crap load of disposable income at an early age. But historically, that's mm-hmm. not the case. What What does it cost to climb Everest? You could estimate your total. It's six. Total, it's north. Uh, it's it's a hundred. It's a hundred plus thousand dollar trip when you. Okay. When you're all with, with the guiding and the gear and the travel and permits and all that stuff, it's, it's expensive. 
Okay. Wow. It's yeah, it's a huge endeavor. Yeah. So. Well, thanks for sharing that story. That's really, it's really interesting to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. So my pleasure. Yeah. And, but you mentioning how it kind of hurt your real estate business a little bit, but that was okay. Cause of your, your focus on lifestyle and everything, but you, you kind of, you came back and you have, you've had a renewed energy with real estate from what I've seen. And you're really starting to hit it hard and rebuild things more. So what, what are you doing with that? And what's your mindset now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah. So like, I thought like, well, like for me, the biggest takeaway that I had, one of the biggest takeaways I had on Everest is, is that I wasn't prepared. Right. And so then I looked at all the other pillars of my life and I, and I thought like, gosh, where, where else in my life do I think I'm prepared and I'm fooling myself? And I was like, oh, well, real estate for sure. My, my profession, like I've just, I've taken it for granted. You know, like I said, even out, out the gate and the whole, you know, my whole career, I just thought it was super easy and it was no big deal. And, and so I came back off of Everest and I was like, Hey, you know what? I need to get really recommitted to just the fundamentals of real estate and, and, and find that, um, not, not passion. I was, it wasn't missing passion, but I need to find like that seriousness of just like, did I know what to do? And I can't just take it for granted. I can't just twiddle mm -hmm. my thumbs and be like, oh yeah, man, people are, people are going to be calling me because I'm a great real estate agent. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not going to cut it anymore. Like I need to go back to the basics and I need yeah. to work, yeah. work my database and work my sphere and get everybody's minds like back wrapped around that I'm Tim Murray, the realtor, not Tim Murray, the mountain climber, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah. you know, here, here we are a year later. Um, I switched companies. I, I joined EXP, which has made a huge difference in my ability to network uh, mm -hmm. just nationally and internationally and close deals all over the world instead of just in Denver or the front range or whatever. So that's been cool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, amongst other reasons, it's been very cool. The support that I have there is very cool. Um, and it's the, yeah, the amount of education and, and reminders and, and resources for, you know, what does it look like to practice the fundamentals and how do top producing agents mm -hmm. that I've surrounded myself with at EXP push that same message all the time, you know, that, here's, here's the fundamentals. Like, here's how many calls you need to be making a week. Here's how many lunches and coffees you need to be going to. And, you know, here's how it works. And it's like, yeah, I, I've known that all along. And I just took all that for granted for years. So now I'm actually applying myself. Right. How, how do you discipline yourself to actually do it? Cause I think most people listening kind of know what that looks like. They have to make a certain number of calls, certain number of appointments. How do you keep yourself on track with that now that you're more focused? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Yeah. So I think and it, it's funny because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a certified coach and mentor as well. And, um, I teach, you know, I've got, I've got a handful of mentees, young agents I'm working with right now. And we talk about that all the time, you know, of just like, how do you take your goals and break them down into actionable steps? And when you get distracted or deterred or whatever, how do you refocus on your why? Why are you like, who cares if you sell a house or don't sell a house, you know, and a, and a lot of people will immediately go like, oh my God, because I need money. Okay. Well, why? 
Yeah. Like why? You know, I know, yeah. I know, I know my, I know my why. I, you know, in four years from now, I gotta, I'm gonna spend another six figures on a huge ass dream, and it'd be really great if I had multiple six figures or seven figures or whatever sitting in the bank, so I could just check out and do it. You know, and yep. so there's 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 my why. Like, you know, what's your why? You know, and if you don't, if you can't immediately pivot from the the person that hung up on you or you know, you just lost your, in the bidding war over the week, it's Monday, right? How many people are submitting offers in the last 24 hours? And right now is the day where they're just Mm -hmm. crying at their desk because they got outbid. If you can't immediately pivot back into your why and pick yourself up and get on the phone and say, this is why I'm making this call. Like I'm making this call because I want to help somebody become a homeowner or I want to help somebody move out of their house into a better situation. And my big why that drives that, if I'm not clear on that, it's not going to happen. Well, and even breaking it down for me, at least breaking it down even to small whys, like I want to um, be able to provide the best education for my kids. That's that's kind of a big one, but or like I want to be able to buy myself a new mountain bike, let's say, or whatever it is. And my coach had a great exercise. He's like, write down all the stuff that you want. It may not all be material. It might be time-wise. You want to spend time doing, you know, going on a trip with your significant other or whatever it is. Put that list in front of you. And every time you decide to not make your phone calls for a day, just pick something on that list and cross it off. And that was a big, <laughs> for me, that was a big eye-opener. Like, oh, okay. So this one phone call, it breaks down to just that. I mean, it, so I'm going to choose to not make the phone calls. I'm choosing to not spend time with my wife on a trip or get yeah. a mountain bike or whatever it is. No, so that's I a great, that's, that's a great, that's a great example. Like you bring up the mountain bike. I'm like, I need a new one of those too. And you know what the, the mountain bikes these days that I'm looking at cost 8,000 bucks. Oh yeah. You know? And so, so every time that, every time oh. I look at my call list, it's super easy to be like, Oh, Right. If I make this, this phone call could probably buy me two bikes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you never know too. Like it maybe it's, it's not that phone call, but it's the fact of doing them. And then for everyone that, you know, I mean, everyone in sales has heard this for every no, you're getting closer to the yes. So. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting. I, I often think about, you know, when I, w- I was out on my morning run today and I was thinking about the universe and, and, and what I've what I've been drawn to recently is is that I feel like I think a lot of people understand like flow state and being in flow and like how how do you get into flow yeah. and like what does that even mean and it's like yeah that one phone call might not be the phone call but you're not just calling that person on the other end of the line you're letting the universe know that you're taking action towards your goals and you're being intentional. And the universe will respond kindly to that. Right? Yes. And, you know, like, and I think that I think a lot of people get in the weeds about like whatever that I'm afraid or I don't know how or whatever. And if that's the energy you're putting out to the world, then you're not going to get rewarded, you know? But if you'd wake up and like, hey man, how unbelievably fortunate and lucky am I? that I, I have a cell phone that's 
filled with names and numbers. And it's filled with names and numbers mm-hmm. because all those people are my friends. I'm like, why why would I make why would I make that like a scary thing? Like <laughs> how that's badass. I could call people. I could just call people and say, hey, what what do you think about the market today? Hey, what's, what's going on? You know anybody that wants to buy or sell a house? You are you yeah. interested in investing? You go shoot golf t- tomorrow with my lender, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, like yep. wow. Yep. That that mindset and that energy shift of like playing in the in the universe just and, and i i often think about it like a um like music you know i'm just like like i think about the strings of a guitar or the, the keys on a piano and i'm like yeah every phone call i make is like picking one of those strings or pushing a note on the piano and, and i'm singing out to the world and the world's gonna answer in kind mm-hmm. yeah I, I always think about in my business it's like weaving a big web and it's mm-hmm. like oh, i'm adding all these strands to the web and as I add more strands, the web gets bigger and it gets thicker and it's able to, to well, I mean, it's kind of a, maybe a bad, attract more bugs <laughs> to the web. <laughs> but like, you know, just more people I come in contact with, the more people and the more business that yeah. leads to. 100%. Yeah, all the interconnectivity is what it's, it's totally about connecting people. That's what we do. Yep, absolutely. So, um you mentioned that EXP was a huge uh, thing for you to join them. Why, why was that? Why did it, how did that help your business so much? Oh, wow. Yeah. It reinvigorated me on a, on a couple of different levels. So I think I mentioned like having an international reach, you know, EXP is in 24 different countries. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had worked uh, in it after I left Keller Williams, I joined a really successful local, local boutique firm here, York Castle in Denver. Like a lot of people, especially in the investment community, probably, you know, respect and, and love. I do. I, I respect and love what Lon Welsh and Charles Roberts put together at your castle. And yep. we were all very, very successful there. And it was in, in all of its glory. It was still just a Denver front range, Colorado, you know, real estate company. And when I joined EXP, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, we've got almost 90,000 agents all over the world and in, in everywhere in North America. And so, you know, I, one of the, one of the first transactions I did with my, when I joined EXP, I, my, I helped my friend sell her townhome down in Centennial and she moved to North Carolina. And it was the first time in 18 years of real estate that I was able to get online through the EXP network and be like, who are the top producing agents in, in Greensboro? Like who, who can help my friend and mm-hmm. my phone blew up. I mean, like an, annoyingly so where it was like, wow, wow, I don't have, I don't have to choose like one or two. I've got like 15 people begging me for business and I got to sift through like who grew up here. Who's got, who's got the most closings. Who's really of these 15 agents, which one's the best where my previous experience mm-hmm. was like, Hey, who, you know, who do we know in XYZ city? And it was like crickets, you know, like, well, that's kind of dis. that's, that's not, that's not cool. And so, you know, for me, that was really cool, especially with how much traveling I do. You know, it was like, I, I, I took a trip last July to Puerto Vallarta and I had just transferred my license to EXP last July. And, um, it was so badass to walk there's a whole in, in downtown Puerto Vallarta, there's like a whole block of just real estate offices. And I walked into every single one of them, you know, and I got to talk to every agent in there and say, have you heard of EXP? Have you thought about, have you, 
have you considered this international referral mm. opportunity that's here? And, and of course, it made my trip a tax write-off, which was fun. But it, it also <laughs> just spiced up. It totally spiced up my ability to be an international real estate agent all of a sudden and have a referral network that was cool. And, and I think the other, the big thing, um, you know, EXP, Keller Williams, Compass, there's a, like everybody, everybody's trending towards this like agent attraction model that says like, hey, we're going to pay you handsomely if you recruit other agents into our company. And EXP, mm-hmm. their model for that is, is the best. Hands down, and the way that they their revenue share program works in that is unparalleled, you know. And so I think, again, it was another revenue stream for me that excited me, you know, because now mm-hmm. if I'm looking at my call list every day and I get bored or frustrated with having the same old calls with consumers. I can just turn my production sheet mm-hmm. over and say, hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to reach out to some other real estate agents and just see what's going on with their business. And like, hey, where are you guys at? Yeah. What's happening? You know, if you're, if you're not absolutely satisfied with your current brokerage firm or your splits or your whatever, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to share with you why this company makes the most sense and, and how conversations like this can generate residual income and I'll give you an exit strategy out of real estate. You know, if you haven't already thought of that, I mean, most real estate agents are making so much money. They don't really think about, it. I think they just take it for granted. Like, Oh, I can, you know, they, you, yeah. I know for me, I'm guilty of it. I'm totally guilty of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be that crusty old century 21 guy in a busted down Mercedes and a cheap fucking suit selling houses when I'm 85 because I can and it's like, whoa, really? No. Or because you can't, because you can't stop. Maybe too is the other thing. Yeah. Another reason why you see some of those guys. Right, one hundred percent. Yeah, because there's no exit yeah. strategy. You're you're in one hundred percent commission based sales, and and you've lied to yourself for forty years about saving money. <laughs> yeah. And there's no pension. Yeah. There's no uh, retirement account. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where where EXP changed that model like big time. You know, and they said, "Hey, look, you can you can get agent attraction going and have residual income for the rest of your life by just inviting people to join the future of real estate with EXP." So, cool. Yeah. So, if someone would want to talk to you about EXP, how how could they reach you? Oh man, um, yeah, wherever this is going, this podcast. I'm not sure where you posted, but my. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, open on Facebook and Instagram, Tim Murray realtor at gmail.com. Um, Tim Murray realtor on IG, Tim Murray realtor on Facebook, um, LinkedIn. I'm on there. Um, you know, call me, text me, reach out to me. I'm pretty, I'm pretty visible. So just use that Google machine and find you because you're out there. Yeah. Type, type in Tim Murray realtor, Denver, Colorado, and I'm, if it doesn't come up, I'm some, somebody's dropping the ball big time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice. Well, Hey man, your, your inspiration is so many people and you definitely inspire me to, especially on your lifestyle stuff. So I definitely, I appreciate you being on here and sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And I think for on that note too, I think for any other agents that are listening to this and, and like thinking about lifestyle stuff, I've been coaching a lot of other agents recently. Like I mentioned, about 
how to work your hobbies and the things that bring you joy into your business. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, I, I think like RJ, you and I have spent a lot of time skiing together mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I've definitely met and closed deals from a ski lift, you know, or just like somebody's yep. from out of state visiting Colorado and they, they want to buy real estate in Colorado because they fall in love with it. That's a no brainer, yep. you know? Yep. And I think the same thing when you're out mountain biking or playing frisbee golf or whatever your pat your hobbies are, figure out a way to break down that barrier between you know that like when you're out recreating, it's not mutually exclusive from communicating with other human beings, and that's our job as real estate agents and mortgage brokers to communicate with other people. Totally, a hundred percent. I mean, I can. I've experienced that as well. Closing business from the ski lift. Yeah, there's countless people that I've helped just from meeting people on the ski lift, and I carry business cards in my ski pants. Yeah, and uh, people I, friends that I know that I ski with, I let them know what I do, and it just it makes sense. Hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. And, and no shame in it either. I mean, it's what you do. None. So why not talk yeah. about it? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anybody that's yeah. listening to this and is like caught up in that that whatever career professionalism mindset that says there's a, there's some distinction between being locked onto your desk and onto your phone. And that's what professionalism is versus being out doing what you love to do and interacting with human beings. That's what, that's, that's why we're here. People is to interact with human beings. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, it's right. cool that we have the internet right. and it's cool that you have your phone, you know, and it's way cooler to be outside doing cool shit with your friends and, and talking about business. It's okay. Yep. Absolutely. So this is inspiring too, because I could see how, I mean, you'd be a great coach with just mentoring people like in your organization and helping them with this kind of stuff. Cause way too many people are tied to their desk. It's, it's the reality. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, I, I know that I'm guilty. I, <laughs> yeah. I think we, I think we need to have a session because I yeah. need a little bit of help there. Nice. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, let's do it. And any, yeah. And anybody else that, uh, you know, if, if you're inspired by this stuff, you want to talk more about it, give me, yeah, reach out to me. I'm always available. I love to mentor. I love to coach. You know, I want everybody around me to succeed for sure. Like just be the very best person, the best fulfilled human being you can be and contributing to the people around you. That's, I think that's really why we're here. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Well, cool. Well, thanks again, Tim, for being on and if, you get, if you're listening to this show and, and found value in it, please share it with your friends that are in the business. That's how the word gets out, and that's how everyone grows and gets better. And also consider leaving a five-star review. Definitely appreciate that, and everybody have a great rest of your day.